Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? My guest today is Dr. Bob Lawrence, founder and president of the Dallas School of Music and host of the podcast, Jazz Piano Skills. Welcome, Bob. Oh, thank you, Liz. Glad to be here. So tell us how you got into jazz. Oh, my goodness. How, how, how much time do we have? We got lots of time. <laughs> I actually come from a, a pretty musical family. So I have two brothers and two sisters. My mom and dad both played music and uh, all my brothers and sisters played music. And I'm the fourth out of five children. And so I just thought it was something that everyone did because mom and dad played, my my older brothers played, my oldest sister played. So I just thought that that was the norm. And so I started as a young child. not as a pianist though. I started as a I started as a drummer, and uh, so I got in into music very young. And then by high school, I I realized I wanted to play jazz piano because I was sitting in with these jazz groups with these old jazz musicians in a club in a in a lounge or a bar back home in around the Chicago area. And uh, so I would go and I'd sit in and my parents would take me and I'd go and I'd sit in and play drums with these old jazz guys. But there was a, the, the, the pianist, the jazz pianist for that group was just fabulous. And I can remember sitting there playing the drums thinking, man, I'm on the wrong instrument. <laughs> I need to be on that instrument. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in high school, uh, I started studying with a local jazz pianist there in the, uh, in the area. And then, and then from there, the rest is history. You know, I got in high school, got very serious about music and practicing and then uh, ended up going to college and majoring in music. And uh, even though it was a real, a traditional kind of liberal arts school, um, they didn't really, they had a music program, but not really a specific jazz program. Mm -hmm. So then uh, when I decided to do my master's degree, I, my dream was to go to, at that time, it was called North Texas State University, which was considered the best jazz program in the United States. And, um, and it still is. It, it was and it still is. And uh, so came to Texas in 1984 to pursue a master's degree in jazz studies and ended up staying and, and did my doctorate degree in uh, education, music education and jazz studies and stayed in the area and founded the Dallas School of Music and uh, and here I am. So it's been a it's been a fabulous journey. It's been a lot of fun, and and uh, I still I really kind of can't believe myself. I kind of pinch myself because my work is my play, and my play is my work. So you know, very blessed. Wow, that sounds so cool. I I don't think I was aware that colleges had uh, jazz programs. How long has that been going on? Not very. 1960s, you know, I say not very, and in the big scheme of things, that's not very long, right? No, it really isn't. It really is not. Um, And so in the 1960s, really the first kind of jazz education programs in schools and North Texas actually started their jazz program before that. They kind of 
snuck it in there in the, mm-hmm. into academia under another name because jazz <laughs> was kind of frowned upon. But it, it's probably since the 60s. And, and you're right, not, you know, still to this day, not all universities and not all colleges offer a, a, a degree or a program in jazz studies. Mm-hmm. And so it's still, it's still very much, you know, in its infancy stages, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So um, what kind of music did you listen to or with your family? Uh, uh, what, what, what kind of music did you and your, your brothers and sisters play? Oh, my gosh. Mom and dad always had, you know, the big bands on, right? You know, mm-hmm. everything from Tommy Dorsey to Glenn Miller to Count Basie to Frank Sinatra uh, t- to you name it, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of grew up listening, hearing the big bands in the background. And then uh, when I got into the jazz, I kind of got into more of the small ensembles, small groups like the Miles Miles Davis mm-hmm. uh, ensembles and uh, John Coltrane and and uh, Oscar Peterson and and so um, you always hear about kids being picked on who play music in school. I was actually the one doing the picking on because I would I I'd, I'd go you don't play music? It's, wow, how weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, uh, so yeah, I just kind of grew up with it all. I, I'm, I'm interested both how you were taught in the program that you described and also how, how do you teach and how does one learn to improvise? Okay, uh, fabulous question. Uh, I was taught very traditionally and I certainly don't recommend that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a traditional approach to study in music is what, is what I call a a kind of a dot and button approach, right? You got a piece of music in front of you and that dot means push that button. Mm-hmm. That dot means push that button and so mm-hmm. on. So what happens is that becomes kind of a, a very kind of mechanical approach to study of music. Mm-hmm. And it's a, and it's approach that's all taken in through the eyes and not through the ears. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Interesting, right? yeah. Uh-huh. Music is an oral art form. It's not a visual art form, it's an oral art form. But yet we want to always teach it where? Through the eyes. Isn't that fascinating, right? That'd be like, a, it'd be like you study, you signing up to take some painting classes and they blindfold you. <laughs> and they go, just, just listen to the tree and then paint it. <laughs> you'd be going like, can I see the tree? No, no, no. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So, so when we study music just only through the eyes, it's kind of an odd, it's mm-hmm. kind of an odd approach, right? Mm-hmm. So a dot button approach is kind of mechanical, and quite honestly, that's why a lot of people end up starting music and then end up quitting music because it never shifts from the mechanical to the artistic. Uh huh. Okay. You never make that flip, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of dot and buttons, I would I would highly recommend shapes and sounds. You know, uh, music, especially on piano, uh, pianists play by shape. We play shapes, right? This is why a blind pianist can play. Uh-huh. Shapes and, and sounds. Mm-hmm. And what happens in, in music, there are specific sounds, like you've heard some of these labels, like major, minor, mm-hmm. you know, there's dominant, there's half diminished, there's diminished. You say these, if I mention these sounds to a musician, they hear them just like if i just like if i said to you dog barking right now mm-hmm. you don't need to hear a dog barking for you to hear a dog barking mm-hmm. if i said to you helicopter or airplane you know what that sounds like mm-hmm. i just have to mention it and you know what it sounds like mm-hmm. 
if I uh, said to a chef cilantro, they taste it, mm -hmm. right? If I said, do you know what that is? They go, do you know what? Do I know what it is? Are you mm -hmm. kidding me? I'm tasting it. What are you talking about? Well, it's it, it's the same thing in music. Sounds when you when you study music properly, you hear sounds. First, you learn what the sounds of music are, mm -hmm. and then you you practice them so that they become you become familiar with them, just like you're familiar with the sound of a dog barking or a cat mm -hmm. meowing, right? Mm -hmm. So unless you study music, utilizing shapes and sounds, and and mm -hmm. uh, diving into that, then it never ever really becomes artistic, ever. It just always remains a mechanical process. Describe to the listeners what you mean by shapes. Well, certain sh uh, on piano, uh, there are certain ways to play sounds. Major, dominant, minor, half diminished, diminished. There's certain ways to what we call voice those sounds by putting certain notes in a certain order. And those notes, when placed in a certain order, formulate a shape on our hands, right? Uh, I used to have a piano teacher who would, you know, he'd sit across the room and he would go, no, no, Bob, not, no, Bob, major, major. And he would hold his hand up, you know, like that. And I, and I used to think when I, when I was a kid, I used to think, what's he, what's he, is he waving at me? What is he, <laughs> what is he doing exactly? Mm -hmm. Then I realized, oh, he, he's actually holding up a shape in his hand, right? Guitar players do the same kind of things. There's certain ways they put their hands on a guitar mm -hmm. that are shape-oriented, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be aware of the shapes of music. We have to be aware of the sounds of music. And when, and when you study that way, now music starts to become very much an artistic endeavor as opposed to just a mechanical endeavor. So I'm not saying one uh, that one should be uh, utilized at the at the expense of another. Mm -hmm. It's not an either or, it's a both and, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that if music only stays as a dot button relationship, then it's only going to be a mechanical relationship. It's going to be like putting together a model airplane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you know, once, once it's put together, then what? Now what? I, you know, that's a long way to answer your question, you know, about how does one begin to learn how to improvise. They begin to learn how to improvise when they, when they begin realizing or they are introduced to the shapes and the sounds of music. Now they're on the path to being able to play songs and embellish songs, to be able to play songs and add their own personal style or flair mm -hmm. or approach to the music. Mm -hmm. There are schools of thought. There are people who, who think that one must have a certain amount of, of basic education for painting or for music to, to, to learn the basics before you can start breaking the rules. It, would you agree with that or not necessarily? Another fabulous question. Um, you know, there's a fabulous book out called Musicking, M-U-S-I-C-K-I-N-G, and it's by a gentleman by the name of Christopher Small. It's called music. And Mr. Small talks about how music, we got to stop treating music as a noun and start treating it like a verb. It's what people do. It's right. Mm -hmm. And, and honestly, it's what it's in us. And it's, it's a form of expression, just like writing or reading, mm -hmm. speaking, speaking, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We don't say, we don't say to somebody, 
hey, you shouldn't speak. Right? Mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not you're not a gifted speaker, so you shouldn't don't speak. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not a gifted writer, so you shouldn't write. You're not a gifted uh, you know artist, so you shouldn't paint. Mm -hmm. uh, it should be something that we all do and utilize and as a form of expression, mm -hmm. regardless of what level we do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I may not be the best speaker in the world, but I sure do enjoy talking to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's uh -huh. a way to express myself and engage yeah. and engage with you. Uh -huh. um, and the same the same should be for music. So I, I would say to, to answer that question is I would encourage everyone, everyone, regardless of what educational level or experience or background that you have, that you explore your uh your musical right right mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh, yeah. it's there it's mm -hmm. there we just, and as i tell the students that i work with the study of music is about pulling out of you what's already in you it's not about mm -hmm. putting something in you that you don't have oh that's nice right it's pulling mm -hmm. out of you what's already there mm -hmm. and uh and and i can attest you know after you know, i've been teaching for a long time and i teach a lot of adults and uh, everyone is amazed at how much music they have in them mm. and how much music comes out of them. Uh, does that make sense, Liz? Does yeah, that... yeah, I think so. Um, so lot, well, and I would just say that a lot of times people will not start the process of studying music because they think for some reason they aren't qualified or they don't have enough education or they, they don't have the proper background. Mm -hmm. which is which is all just kind of roadblocks stopping them from enjoying a fabulous journey that they can enjoy for the rest of their life. What, what are the differences between learning as a child and learning as an adult? Adults learn much faster. No kidding. Yes. And see, there's, a, there's another myth. There's another huge myth uh -huh. that children learn faster. It's not true. Um, when in studying music, adults move at a, at a very good clip and move very quick because we can, I can engage in conversations with you regarding the constructs of music in a much deeper and a much, much more profound way than I can with mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can cover a lot more ground and a lot at a lot faster pace than mm -hmm. I can with a child. And, um, and so, you know, so many again, like I said, so many adults would think that, oh my gosh, you know, I should have done it when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I'm, too, I'm too old now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. My brain cells were better back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, they weren't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You know, the only thing that the child has that the adult has lost is the child is not fearful of trying something. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, that's kind of been pounded out of us. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, we have here at the school, we have classes for young children. And some of the faculty teach with parent and child. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, interesting. So in the classroom, there's the parent and the, and the child. Mm -hmm. And so the instructor will say, OK, everybody on their feet. You know, we got some music. And I want everybody to jump around like a gorilla. Here we go. All the, ki all the kids jump to their feet. And guess what all those kids do? They have no problem jumping around like a gorilla. Mm -hmm. Great fun. Great fun. 
every adult goes, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. You really want me to jump around? Like, I can't do that. <laughs> and then we convince them that they can. And, and that's a hoot to look in the window and see a bunch of adults and kids jumping around like gorillas. <laughs> right? But you see that hesitation? It's mm -hmm. that hesitation that the adult has about jump, jump, jumping up to their feet and jumping around like a gorilla to the music mm -hmm. where the child goes, I'm totally into that. <laughs> that's true. Are you kidding? Music's great fun. So that's the only thing, that's the only thing that the, the child has over us is this, this lack of fear. And so one of the things that, that I do personally in working with adults is get them over that hump very quickly. Let's, let's get over the fear factor and let's play and let's make music and let's enjoy your music mm -hmm. at whatever level. Let's enjoy your music. What advantages or disadvantages do classically trained musicians face when deciding to learn to improvise? Well, big advantage is that usually classically trained musicians have fabulous technique, right? Which is mm -hmm. great, which is yeah. awesome, because you need great technique to improvise. So they already have that. But the disadvantage is that a lot of times they're bound to the written page. And they got to get over the hump that they don't have to play everything as written. You know, because it, that in classical literature when i was trained i was trained my undergraduate studies was in classical literature and so you're trained to that when you play that bach that piece by bach don't you mess around with that piece mm -hmm. you, you better play that piece exactly as written on that page you you mm -hmm. cannot take any liberties with that piece whatsoever mm -hmm. it's against musical law don't mess <laughs> don't mess with bach right mm -hmm. uh -huh. and, and that's kind of drilled into us right and the jazz musician goes really why not let's mm -hmm. let's let's improvise let's have some fun mm -hmm. and truth be known i actually think bach would even go of course yeah <laughs> let's have some fun are you kidding me uh -huh. right so i think that's the big disadvantage is that as uh, when we're trained classically we're trained to read what's on the page and do not deviate from that mm -hmm. in any way shape or form so how how does one begin to let it go that's that fear factor again mm -hmm. right that's that mm -hmm. fear factor and that's and it starts and it starts there realizing that it is okay it 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 it, it is okay to uh, as the old expression goes, you know, to think outside the box. It, mm -hmm. it, it is okay to explore. It is okay mm -hmm. to express, step out and express your, your musical thoughts mm -hmm. on the instrument. And a lot of times for classical musicians, um, that, that is, is tough. But I will tell you this, I teach a lot of classical musicians who, who are studying jazz. And once they do step out, it's like unleashing a an animal that's been tied up for like years, you know, they, they go crazy. They love it. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, when it comes to music, you know, I, I try to encourage everyone to study it all classical music, jazz music, popular styles, uh, you name it. Right. Cause I, I've always said there's only two kinds of music in the world, good and bad. Um, so it doesn't, 
musical genre or style has nothing to do with it, mm -hmm. right? I've heard, I've heard good classical music. I've heard bad classical music. Mm -hmm. I've heard good jazz music. I've heard bad jazz music. Mm -hmm. And the list goes on, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I, I think it's important for, you know, as musicians or somebody studying music, just immerse yourself, bathe in, bathe in all the musical styles, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So um, it would be like only reading one type of literature, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It may be good, but there's more than just one genre of literature out there that you can enjoy as well. What, what are some of the very first things that you teach someone when, uh, when you're teaching them how to play jazz piano? Oh, I'll, I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you. Can I show you? Oh, yes, please. I'm going I'm to I'm actually show you. I'm going to grab my little keyboard here. Okay. And I'm going to show you right on the screen so you can see it. So if you were studying, which by the way, Liz, you can do this, even, <gasps> long, even long distance. I teach, oh. I, have, I have a student in Denmark that I teach <gasps> online. So Ooh. yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Okay, to, okay, okay, okay. You can't, you can't use distance as an excuse here. <laughs> what I'm showing Liz here is I have a little keyboard here and I don't know if you can, can you hear that? Yeah, sure, sure. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So the very first thing, you know how I mentioned shapes and sounds? Mm -hmm. See here, that's a specific shape on the piano, is it not? Okay, like, yeah. Go mm -hmm. like every other, every other note there, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the very first thing I, you would be learning is that, hey, that's a major shape right there. Mm -hmm. okay. And if I, if I lower this down, mm -hmm. oh, that's a totally different sound. That's a dominant sound. That's a dominant shape. That's a minor mm -hmm. shape. Mm -hmm. Half diminished shape, diminished shape. I want to just do some math for you real quick. Uh, okay. Perspective. And you don't, okay. and the listeners here will get this. Okay. In, in music, we have five sounds. There are five sounds, primary sounds. And I just played them. Major, okay. mm -hmm. dominant, minor, half diminished, and diminished. Those five sounds. Okay. Now in music, we also have our tuning system, we have 12 notes. So if I start, if I start on the left side of these two black keys and mm -hmm. I count up to the left side, I count up here, mm -hmm. right? I'm gonna count these notes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. And now I'm back to the beginning again. Mm -hmm. So the piano is just basically copy, paste. <laughs> Piece, all the way mm -hmm. up, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So we, so we have 12 notes in music. How's your math skills? Are they pretty good? Uh, not great, but okay. 12 times 5? 60. Bingo. So there are 60 chords in music. Uh, okay. You have five sounds. You have 12 notes. 12 times 5, 60. 60 chords. So if you learn those 60 chords, you now have the foundation of music under your fingers. Now, that sounds conceivable. It is, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something interesting about that. When I was that high school boy and I started studying jazz and this was introduced to me. Now you gotta keep in mind, up until this point, to me, music was like uh, a huge, 
big fat elephant that I was trying to hug, that I was trying mm -hmm. to put my arms around. Okay. It was massive. It was too, so big, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what was my mindset. So now I, I study with this gentleman and he explains to me that we have five sounds in music. We have 12 notes. There are 60 chords. And I said to him, I said, wait a minute. Are you telling me that if I learn one chord a day for 60 days, approximately two months, you're telling me that I know all the chords that there are in music? He didn't even, Liz, he didn't even blink. He didn't even bat an eye. He goes, yes. I go, wait a minute. I was kind of in disbelief, right? Because this big fat elephant now just went like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got a lot yeah. of yeah. uh-huh. So then I said, wait a minute. Are you telling me that every musician from the beginning of time, whether it was Bach or Beethoven, Brahms, Mozart, all the way up to current time, current musicians like Elton John and Billy Joel. Uh -huh. Are you telling me that every musician from the beginning of time with the music that they created, that they've written or composed, that they could only draw from that pool of 60 chords? Again, he didn't even blank, he goes, Yes. Wow. I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because now my heart is actually like, st like stopped, right? I mean, I'm, I can't even believe this. And I go, wait a minute. So theoretically speaking, and I said, I understand I'm, we're talking theoretically here. But theoretically speaking, if I know all my chords, my 60 chords, and every song ever written in the entire world could only draw from that pool of 60, then theoretically there wouldn't be a song in the world that I wouldn't be able to play. And he didn't blink and he went, correct. Now, Liz, that was liberating. Yeah, I can see. Because now it was like somebody popped the elephant and it went. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. So you ask what I would teach you first? Mm -hmm. That's what I would teach you first. That is, I haven't ever seen it put that way. I've also never heard of a half diminished shape before. I, I know about dim, diminished, but what's half diminished? Half diminished is, a, is basically a minor chord, uh -huh. like a minor seven chord with and you lower the fifth one half step. It's just a slight alteration to the minor chord. Is it ever called something else? If you're talking about a triad, it's called it's called diminished, and that may be okay. what you're thinking of. When we add another note onto that sound, the seventh, four notes, if you notice when I was playing, I was playing four notes. Yeah, that's true, okay. When you add another note onto that uh, shape, then we have the establishment of a half diminished sound and, okay. and also a diminished sound. Right? Okay. So you can't get to the half diminished unless you add a fourth note on there. And so, what's your background? Did you did you play? Uh, no, I'm a singer, um, and I grew up singing around the kitchen table with my family. I tried lots of lessons of various different instruments, and just never uh, stuck with it. I was much more comfortable just singing than playing an instrument. And then married a, um, a guitar player, songwriter, and uh, so. So the instrument part is all taken care of for now. So uh, 
I don't know, that, that only having to learn 60 chords seems a little more uh, feasible than I had ever thought before. So. Well, and I, and I think you're, you're not alone, right? I mean, I felt that way and with the adult students that I work with, it's liberating for them too. And then once, and once we get those shapes under our hands and we actually start playing tunes, they, they really see how music is actually structured, how it's actually put together. Right. And it's that putting together. It's it's how mm -hmm. it all works is where you get in that where you enter into the artistic dimension of music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was reading not too long ago a life story of Einstein and he was a violinist. Mm. A, lot, a lot of people don't realize this. They, he loved playing the violin. And in the story, in, the, in, the, in his life story, in the book, it mentions that, you know, when he would have guest friends over he would really want to talk about music, but they'd all want to talk about math and physics and science, you know, and it drove him nuts, right? But in the book, it's interesting because they said uh, Einstein became, and the word they used was enthralled, which I love because we don't hear that word that often anymore. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. He said Einstein became enthralled with music once he discovered its structure. Mm -hmm, yes. And I said, of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did, right? Yeah, there's such a great relationship between physics and, and music. Uh, yeah, and so what it tells you is that there's a method to the madness. Yes, the yes. Pieces of the puzzle fit together. And if you know what those pieces are, those shapes and those sounds, mm -hmm. you know what those pieces are, then music can come, become a very much an artistic endeavor for you and, and a journey, you know, an incredible journey of putting together the puzzle, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what, if any, differences are there for uh, different instrument players in learning jazz? There's not. Oh, okay. There's not. Um, that's, that's another, other than the physical, I mean, right, each instrument is, is structured differently, of course, but, but, but the content is the same. So it's, when I, when I work with students, I'm, I always am quick to read, to, to let them know that, look, we're studying music together. I'm going to teach you music. Mm -hmm. It may be through the lens of a piano, mm -hmm. right? But regardless of the instrument, it's the same. So I always use as an example, if, if, I, if I went down the hall to study with one of the faculty here, let's say I wanted to study uh, saxophone, jazz saxophone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the faculty member's not going to teach me music. Not going to teach, right? They're going to teach me what, what I know, how to actually now physically manipulate this instrument to be able to express what I already know. Okay, okay. So it's exactly the same. The content, the data, the data set is the same data set regardless of what instrument you're holding in your hand. No, does the shape apply in on on instruments that only play single notes? Oh, I, I, I would yes, I think absolutely it does because it becomes a linear shape as opposed to a uh, a vertical oh. shape, right? Okay. There are shapes, there are horizontal shapes as well in music, right? Uh, the way a line is shaped and, and okay. patterns, melodic patterns that musicians study and play. So uh, absolutely, the, the saxophone player may be only dealing with 
horizontal or, or linear shapes, whereas a pianist, a guitarist, has to deal with both vertical and horizontal. Okay. All right. So who have been some of your major influences? Oh, musically in the jazz, yeah. in the jazz world? Oh my yeah. gosh. I already mentioned Oscar Peterson, Bill Evans, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, Dave McKenna, oh my God, Red Garland, the list goes on and on. And those are just some of the piano players. And then there's mm -hmm. instrumentalists like uh, Stan Getz and Charlie Parker, Cannonball Adderley, um, Miles Davis, John Coltrane. I mean, um, golly, I can't even, it's, it's enormous, right? I listen to them, I listen to them all. And it's funny, Liz, because every time I listen to, depending on whoever I'm listening to, happens to be, in my opinion, the greatest jazz player ever in the world. That's how much I love them all, right? So if I'm listening to Oscar Peterson on my way to work, I'm going like, he's the greatest jazz piano player ever. And then on my way back home from work, I'm listening to Bill Evans. I go, oh, he's the greatest jazz player ever. <laughs> right? So it's just so hard for me because they're, they're all so influential. Mm -hmm. Any recent discoveries that, that surprised you? Any, any modern people? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, you know, some of the young players today are ridiculously gifted and talented talented. Benny Green is a young, I say young, he's kind of like my age, but uh, Benny Green is a great jazz pianist that I would recommend uh, people listening to, to begin listening to. Uh, you got Jesus Molina is another great young in his 20s jazz pianist that I would recommend listening to as well. So uh, yeah, there are, there are a ton of great talent out there you know and, and i think we live in such a great age now too you know with being able to go to youtube and just search somebody up and just listen to you know watch them perform and play from the young guys the new young guys that are coming up all the way it's fascinating to me that i can pull up videos of you know nat king cole mm. playing mm. in 1940 and, and listen to him sing and listen to him play and, and it just marvel at that you know it's just mm -hmm. it's fabulous mm -hmm. Do you also perform as well as, as teach? I do. I do, but very selectively now. I don't go out and do a whole lot of, you know, I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm getting old. I don't like being out in a bar till two o'clock in the morning playing anymore. I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. I don't like carrying gear around. <laughs> I'm not doing that either. So, oh, man, that's the worst. Yeah. Know, Right. So, yeah. So, you know, if, if the gig is right, if it's a place where I can go in and sit down, I do a lot of private events around the Dallas area where I can go in and sit down at a piano and play and then and then uh, and then get up and, and go home. And it's always funny. Now, I ask two questions whenever I get to ask to go out and perform. Mm -hmm. you know, a, is there a piano there? And, and B, is it over by 10? <laughs> I understand. <laughs> So I actually, I actually prefer to do a lot of recording, you know, like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I know you're, I know the listeners can't see, but like, that's a record, that's basically a recording studio there. So I like to do a lot of recording right here in my office and produce, you can go to my SoundCloud. I have a SoundCloud account out there with a lot of my recordings mm -hmm. that I publish there. I actually prefer doing recording actually more than I do live performance. 
do you br bring other in, other uh, instrumentalists in, or do you play all the instruments yourself, or uh, uh, both? Both. I, I I will record with some other people, but I, I'm capable of actually record. If I want trumpet, I'm actually I'm capable of recording trumpet there. Mm -hmm. I'm actually capable of recording saxophone, and and the technology's got so good that you can't tell the difference. Yep, I know. I, I, I know. We've been doing a lot of that during the pandemic. We've been uh, recording with electronic yeah. orchestras and yeah, yeah, and stuff. So, tell us how you started your podcast. Oh, you know, it's interesting because the podcast started because um, we have a gentleman here that uh, he comes and. He has his own business. He has a car detailing business mm -hmm. where he, and so as a service to our faculty and staff here, he comes on, on uh, like Wednesdays during the week and he will clean and detail anybody's automobile that they, that they want to have done, you know, clean up their car. While they're in here teaching, they can get mm -hmm. that taken care of. And I talked to him a lot and he, he actually mentioned to me one time, man, you should do like a podcast. And I went, I said, really? I said, I don't know. He goes, yeah, you should do a podcast. And then, so it just kind of rattled around in the back of my mind. And then I had some students suggest that, you know, you should actually do some instruction, online instruction. But what would be great, instead of just recording some, you know, video, if you actually did a podcast where you had a kind of a weekly presentation of different skills that you would be addressing and teaching. And so... A, a couple people had just mentioned it to me, and then I uh, was asked to do a podcast with a, a student of mine came in, and he asked me to be a, a co-host of a podcast, and it was called Stud and Dud, and I'm not going to tell you which one was the stud and which one was the dud, but anyway, he asked, he, he asked if I would co-host with him. He was a young guy. And I said, well, what are we going to talk about? And he said, we're going to talk about sports and we're going to talk about music. We're going to talk about food. And I said, hey, I like all three of those things. So we started this little podcast called Stud and Dud. And I realized how much I enjoyed doing a podcast. It was fun. And now I, now I had students saying to me, well, you should do a, a music podcast. So it was, it was really because of the gentleman who cleans our cars mm -hmm. and, and several students mm -hmm. encouraging me that led to, to me starting jazz piano skills. And um, I just started it last November. And I'm happy, oh. happy to say, it, literally, it's been less than a year. And I just, I just crested over 15,000 downloads. Wow, congratulations. That's yeah. wonderful. From November. So um, I, I don't know anything about podcasting. But it's going pretty good. <laughs> That's great. I know you also have a YouTube channel. Is it the same material on both? Yes. Yes. And yeah, and I'm not real good at the, you know, the YouTube stuff. It kind of automatically gets posted there. So your podcast uh, would be the number one resource. Are there any other particular resources that you would uh, suggest to people who want to, to learn more about improving their jazz piano skills or their jazz anything skills oh yeah you know there is a um, here in the states there's a place called it's jamie abersall jamie abersall does that's what i grew up i grew up with jamie abersall books it's called jazzbooks.com he has a lot of great resources there 
and that's a great one for somebody to go in there and poke around. Jamie Aversaw has great materials, great, great resources, everything you could possibly imagine. So I, I would recommend I would recommend going there and and checking and checking that out. Okay. Good. And people are able to take lessons online through the Dallas School of Music, or yes. um, yeah. I teach, in okay. fact, I teach a, a lot of students online. I, I'm here in the Dallas, Texas area, and uh, I have students, like I already mentioned, I have a student in Denmark, I have students in California, New York, Florida, uh, literally, I mean, because of the technology, I mean, look at look at you and me here today, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? It really is. This has been a wonderful conversation. Do you have anything you would like to, to say in conclusion? I would just encourage everyone to step out and take that risk and begin studying music, even if they've never touched an instrument ever in their life. Just Monday, a gentleman came in here. I met with a gentleman, 81 years old, and starting the clarinet for the first time. Oh, wow. And he said, and he said to me, I always wanted to play the clarinet and now I'm going to do it. And so we got him enrolled. He's 81 years old and he's starting his clarinet lessons. So I would just encourage everyone, regardless of your age, step out, regardless of what the instrument is. It doesn't have to be a main, you know, clarinet, right? Here he, mm -hmm. he walks in on clarinet. So it could be clarinet, saxophone, trumpet, flute, whatever you, you know, ukulele, whatever instrument you're drawn to, for you to be able to mm -hmm. utilize that instrument as a form of self-expression will be one of the most rewarding things you ever do in your life, whether you start as a child or whether you start as an 81-year-old on the clarinet for the first time. So I would just encourage everybody, take the plunge. Do <laughs> Oh, I couldn't agree more. Thank you. My thanks to Bob Lawrence. You can find him at jazzpianoskills.com and his social media links are in the show notes. I invite everyone to tell me what you've always wanted to try. Also, please take a moment to fill out a brief survey so I can find out more about you. You'll find it at lizsumner.com survey. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find us. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold and thanks for listening. Thank you.